And we've got another COVID pause. This one shouldn't be two weeks like the last one, but it is happening. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph. You're locked into Burgundy Radio for whatever day it is. Coming up on the show, Colorado get right to work for what we're calling the Hell Week, and then had to stop. Plus, they made a move for Carl Soderberg, friend of the show. But before we get there in this intro, let's see us to show. Let's say hi to the real friends of the show. Earl of Six, how are you? I am fine. And hello to Jackie, the Tiger Vixen. Greetings. So yeah, let's uh, let's get the Carl trade in before we talk about the games, because he played in them. Uh, the Avs trade Ryder Ralston and Josh Dickinson to the Blackhawks for Carl Soderberg. So just like last week with the Nimeth deal, we don't need to introduce you to big old Carl. Uh, but tell the people what the Avs are giving up in this move. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... And I usually Dick- complain about the whole, oh, those assets were worthless take, but truly... Truly, it was nothing. <laughs> this time, it's real. Yeah, I mean, as soon as Dickinson passed his physical, he was assigned to the ECHL. And, I'm, you know, I've been an advocate for Dickinson, but I'm realistic about what he is. And, you know, that that that's about what he is. A good ECHL player that can come up and play a few games in the AHL. Ralston well, is was... a guy that J- Jackie and I have watched off and on for Notre Dame. Um you know, there, there's some things you like about him, but there's, you know, there, there's a lot you have big questions about. So as, as far as prospects go, it's, you know, it was a very long-term project. He probably wouldn't have been in my top 20. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an exaggeration either. So, um, yeah, and 20 I guess, is a big number. Yeah. And that's even before their minuscule draft class happens but um i guess reading a little bit about why they made the trade was i guess stan bowman's obsessed with uh irish prospects from notre dame so uh, i would love to know like kind of what his choices were from the abs like was it bocage was it even let's say like ambrosio or uh-uh. you like what tier? <laughs> what tier was was offered, and and this is this is what they chose. So, like they're the ones that signed Cam Morrison. I guess they have a collection. Like even though we joke about the Avs are obsessed with fighting Irish, I guess Chicago's even more obsessed. So I guess somewhere we can ship off Clermont in a couple years. But it was well, funny they, when they, when they the- traded away Gilbert. Ship off who? Um, so I I thought the uh, I, I thought the Avs infatuation was with BC. They they like collecting. I mean, they, they have several little collection tins. They have BC, they have Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and then obviously the Nova Scotia all encompassing bin. And then oh, we have our favorite Huskies from Rwanda in the queue, but. They don't frequent that one too often. And it looked like the Brandon Wheat Kings were sort of that for a while, but maybe <laughs> not. Well, they do still have that scout, so that that's another one. So, yeah. uh, But it was funny when I heard this trade, I had NHL radio on, and I was going to turn it off when I was backing out of the driveway, and they were like, and another player going back to his former home. And I'm like, okay, I'll leave it on and see who this is. And then I said Carl Soderberg. And I was like, oh, God. And then 
And then they said the return, and I was like, okay. (laughs) All right. All righty then. And they were trying to talk up the return, too. That was pretty funny. But so, (laughs) yeah, don't want to disparage the kids, but Dickinson was an expiring contract third year pro. They have several of those that, that they're just not coming back. So, that that's pretty much just to move out of contracts. They could take on Carl's contract and then Rolston. I can see it probably had some value to the Blackhawks. Um, I was not fond of him as a prospect, so I wish him well. But the the Blackhawks do play whatever forwards they have given so many guys an opportunity in the NHL that it's going to be a much better place for him. So good luck, Rolston. But I think people don't realize, and even after the first game, which we will talk about, is how much Carl is going to play. And (laughs) he is going to be the most important acquisition of, I'd say, even the four, if we're going to count JoJo as a deadline acquisition, which I kind of do, even though it happened a couple weeks ago. But it's basically the same spirit. Yeah. And... um. And we're gonna. I think we're gonna be in the playoffs and look back and say it's incredible that we got Carl for literally free, more or less literally free. And we we spent like I don't know how much time we spent as the Avs got through this and that depth player going through he who must not be played and now into Liam O'Brien and guys like that and just sat around on BR Discord saying things like, "Boy, we, it would sure be nice to have a guy like Carl Soderberg back, wouldn't it?" Yeah, I mean, yeah, they've been I saying think... that like, felt like since that the last beginning year. of the year when, well, it's, it, <clears throat> at the beginning of this year when Comfort was just not getting it done again, you're just like, you know, the the big hole that, that seems to be in this lineup is third center, and not that that's where Carl's playing right now, but <laughs> um, it's, you know, it, it's something that, that you'd kind of look at and you're like, you know, if Soderberg was on this team... You know, we would we wouldn't be having these difficulties. And it is so. also a bit of protection if McKinnon or Kadri go down, that you're not like, <laughs> all right, Comfer's on the second line. Like, what what are we doing here? It's <laughs> instead it's his... Carl's on the second line. What are we doing here? But at least... and he's sort of like Stastny, where he knows his game and he plays his game, and and he can do that at at an older age he's still effective but we don't want to see like the 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 blanky second line come back where it's carl and two vets but but at least nieto's gone and calvert who knows if he'll even play again so probably yeah, I mean, I can't think quite Car- construct that i i think it you know we only got one game to see carl in the lineup but it, you know i think it, even though uh, Chicago does play an up-tempo style as opposed to, you know, what he what he had to do in, in Phoenix. Um, you know, it's going to take him a little while to get back into the Avs mindset and, and mesh with new players and whatnot. Um, it, I, I, I wonder if, if the plan is to keep him as the left wing with Kadri. Um you know, I, I mean, I don't think that's terrible. I, I think I'd rather see him 
doing something else. Like, I, I mean, he's a much better, I mean, he's a really good bottom six center. So you think that's something that, that he could really bolster down well, there. Well, but... I think you don't want to take that away from Jost at this point, especially with that line so effective. But they're not going to have Donnie for a while. <laughs> Spoiler alert. So, um, so that probably does give an opportunity to mix things up a little bit. I just, I don't think he's going to be on the fourth line. He's going to be on the second line or the third line one way or the other. Well, he can do that, that jack of all roles role that everyone likes to pretend JT Comfort can do. So it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, this, we spent all this time hyping up the no rentals thing. And then they went and got some rentals and we were like, dude, why? Um, but you could kind of also see why and blah, blah, blah. But this is not a bad rental. Well, they they rented it no, for I mean, they basically free. <laughs> Carl yeah. fills a role that the team needs filled. He's been here before. He's played for this coach before. So it's going to take him less time to do all that adjustment you were talking about. He's a plug and play depth forward for a team that's playing Liam O'Brien every night. So it's hard to dislike it. Well, yeah, it's not I just think... being able to plug and play. It's like you know what you can do with him be, with you know when you're considering a trade you're, you're like this is not an unknown quantity at all they knew exactly what they're getting with Nemeth and with him. I think that does help this year especially with things so condensed but also with the team rolling like they are you don't want to bring in a whole bunch of dudes so even though I, I feel like chemistry and all that does get overstated a little but it's not nothing some people think it, it's just something that people make up and i that's not true like you're you have to keep in mind we're always talking about a collection of humans here like there is a human element to everything and bringing guys in that that they are comfortable and familiar with in the room but then the flip side is they're also familiar with playing for bednar and the system and everything it's like the biggest deal they made was for Nemeth. Like if you were going to say, did they, re did they overpay? You know, that's the one where maybe they paid the deadline. The rental premium was on Nemeth, but that's what they typically do is trade a fourth for, for a rental. So that's the one I'd call more the the classic rental deal, even though they all technically are, but, and they got rid of pattern to get Dubnik and the sixth for JoJo, and pretty much nothing for Carl. So for me, all in all, I was happy with the deadline because even though they did go out and get a lot of what they needed as extra depth, they didn't do anything crazy like trade firsts for those guys, which, which would have been horrifying. Yeah, not that yeah. anybody did that. <laughs> yeah, there were some pretty... <clears throat> Bad deals out there. And I, I mean, when I first saw like the Capitals trade for Mantha, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, they're just throwing shit away on that." But that it's like he scored still, in all like, five all five games since he got there. Yeah, um, he's been great, but they already had that guy. That's the thing. Yeah. Is like, I know it's like you can't just look at Mantha. You have to look at Mantha over what they were getting rid of. But still, um, you know, Mantha's. Mantha's a player that a lot of teams would like to have, and I'm, you know, I, there's been rumors that the Avs looked into acquiring him last summer, perhaps. I'm sure that they, they need him. 
think about what they wanted in return for the abs. Right, from it's the probably abs, so. kind of what the Caps gave them, you know? <laughs> we don't really have a forward like that. Yeah. Well, we... I mean, we could kind of give them Burakovsky, but they kind of know him. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough sell. Well, that'd be to Detroit, but... Yeah. He's not... Well, I guess you could debate that, but he's he's older and be UFA. I don't know. Yeah. They probably not quite the same value, but right. I, I'm just the deadline horrifies me because I'm worried about those kind of like Felino and Savard deals that are just so gross. The Savard deal, oh. Um, and if you all right, if you look at Washington, like they're probably pretty close to needing a rebuild or at least a re reload. You know, maybe making a move like that probably you know didn't fit what they were trying to do the best, but. You know, maybe this is the last shot at it they have. I don't. Well, throwing stuff away during your last shot at it is a good way to make that down window last a lot longer, isn't it, San Jose Sharks? <laughs> yeah, that that's the team that's in trouble because they've given away a lot of assets and they have a lot of bad money tied up forever. Forever. Yeah. Um, I, that, that team really should be just a big warning right now for anybody who's thinking, Hey, we're at the end of our window here. We need to go for it. It's like, mm, do you? Yeah. What does and going really for it mean? What... <laughs> that's, that's you really have good... to wonder what Tampa is going to look like sort of like t- two or three years from now. Even though Tampa doesn't first round picks to develop players, their cupboard is pretty barren. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think Tampa Bay could be in a shark situation in two or three years and, and be there for a little while. I, I kind of think that their talent is has a, has, has a longer time that they're going to be really, really good, where San they Jose have... was kind of like at the edge of their primes. So I don't know if I agree with that. Well, it they they just uh, they can't keep what they have now. That's the thing. So, all right, if they end up trading some of their high-dollar guys for, for good returns, and I that's increasingly a more difficult thing to do in this. Um, I think they you know, could the, get by without Stamkos. I think they... Yes, I, I think people well, overrate the shit out of Stamkos at this point in his career. Like, he's really good, but he's not old Steven Stamkos. He's not lead the league by 20 goals, goals Steven yeah. Stamkos. Right. But, I mean, who's going to trade for Stamkos? Someone dumb like Buffalo. <laughs> I mean, he, he's an expensive player. He's a cursed yeah. player. Right. Buffalo. <laughs> There's always someone oh. out there that's going to make that argument. But I think you brought up a good question, is what does going for it mean? And... I saw that some sentiment that people were mad that the Oilers didn't quote unquote go for it. And it's like, why do people think the deadline is interesting or exciting? Like nobody good is available. Does going for it mean you should have like made some trade for say Gaudreau or someone that's always sort of been in the rumor mill, but never gets moved. Like, is that what people dream about for the months leading up to the deadline? And then they get mad that their team didn't go for it because they didn't pull that rabbit out of the hat? Or are you, are Oilers fans seriously mad they didn't trace their first 
trade their first round pick on like Felino, and and their team isn't going for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting when when Gabe was talking about the Avs deadline, where you know it, it does signify something to the guys in the room um, that that Joe in the front office, you know, they they did address needs. Um, but they always do. That, they the Avs bought when they were terrible, like right. They're always sending that message that like we're giving you reinforcements, we're giving you help. And yeah. to them, it seems very important that they make that message. Even though we could have made the argument like the Avs don't need anything, you're right. leading. You were leading the league by four points. Like, what? What more do you want? But. Right, but it you know it does say to a lot of fans that you know they were addressing the needs. It does say to the guys in the room that they were bringing in reinforcements. But the thing is, is you know, like we just said, they didn't give up, you know, really anything. Right, which is why I'm happy with it. Like, I would say this is the best deadline they've had in a while. Even though, like last year, the Nemestikov deal was whatever, but. They did a whole yeah, but... lot more, and they really didn't give a whole lot up. And that's what you should try to go for at the deadline. Right. That I, I think what the Avs did is going for it. You know, I, I think when you're picking up David Savards and, and Anthony Manthas, I think you're, you know, that that's that's those are deals that really need a lot of careful consideration and and, and are probably best done over the summer it's like when you make a deal like that at the deadline you kind of wake up at the end of the season like oh my god what have we done (laughs) that's trying to patch a hole that's too big for a deadline move to patch yeah when you look and you you see what the abs did with their assets to get burakovsky and then taze it's like why the hell would you want to make a deadline deal and use everything yeah. you have when who knows what sh- what's going to shake out this summer with expansion draft with with teams needing to shed salary for whatever dumb reason you want to be the team that's there and still has assets and is able to say okay what could we do here maybe it does or doesn't work out but the reason why you can make a Taze deal is because you don't get caught up in the frenzy and blow your wad on crap on deadline day. Yeah, you you, yeah. you, you want to have the the cap space for one, but also just the, the assets to send back the other way to go ahead and just fold your hands in front of your chin and say, hmm, you say you're a very good player as a cap dump. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I, I don't think you can get, I don't think you can do real team building if you're, you know, basically the buyer at the deadline no the, the the deadline is is used way too much to patch bad team building but it it's really not for that it's not helpful yeah and i think some teams try to get like what tampa tried to do last year was get guys that had two years left so or or two playoff runs left so you're not quite getting a rental yes that's the way it's framed but in reality, those guys aren't going to be around that long. They sure well, aren't. Plus, it's like, are you really going to want them in, for the next year? I mean, that's <clears throat> the problem with acquiring anyone, be it, you know, signing a UFA or, or trading for someone like that is like, you know, you're not real sure what you're getting until they, you know, sit down with the coach, hang out with the guys, have some practices, play some games. And it's just, you know, that's not the situation you get at the deadline. No, the difficulty it's, with a player who's available is they're available. Why? 
Why yeah, doesn't exactly. your team want to keep them and build with them? And in Columbus's case, it's pretty obvious. Like they're just like, yeah, you know what? The season's done for. Columbus Columbus is a weird case for all kinds of reasons, yeah, but like some sometimes you do catch people at a good good time for for both like a, a reason a mutually good time like when Vegas kind of cleaned out Ottawa that one time. Um yeah. but otherwise it's like you know it's it's the people are asking for their NHL 13 13 holy crap what year is it? Their NHL 21 deals. <laughs> Where they just keep throwing junk players on the board until the other GM says, "Okay, that's enough, you know, cumulative value. I'll accept your trade for Connor McDavid." And that's another reason why the Taze deal was so good is because they only had to sign him for four years, which I think that's a pretty good sweet spot right there. You didn't have to make like a six, seven year commitment to him. Now, seeing how he plays this year, people probably wouldn't have been mad about that. But you know, I, I still think. That four-year window is truly ideal. Yeah, yeah. that was just another good thing about who he was when he got traded is the fact that, you know, while he was an older player, it's because he had gone to college late and spent four years there. So he didn't have a ton of pro experience, so there wasn't, like, a real track record, even though, you know, I, I think the Av scouts were pretty confident in what he could be. I mean, I sure hope so. so. They brought him in a sign for four years. But yeah, right. you're right. Though four years is a really good kind of like a transitional kind of term. Like four years is term. Don't get me wrong, um, but it's the low end of term. It's we we think we want to keep you, but we we're not ready to commit double it. But we think we want to keep you around for a while. Let's find out. And I'm good with that. Yeah. Right, and he might price himself out of the Avs plans at that point, and that's okay. Yeah, that's. I think we're talking 2026 20, or something like. Hopefully, hopefully the NHL still exists at that point. <laughs> it's just, it's just when you see deals like that and things that have helped the Avs so much, why the deadline is just, I don't know. I hate it. I know I'm clear that nothing good really comes of the deadline, but I am very happy what the Avs did. You know what yeah. I have. Would I have wanted to take them down to a three-pick draft class? Probably not. But the important thing is they kept the first and the third, which is basically the only two picks they get any value out of anyway. So it is like the Avs pretty much have, have a full draft. So if you could get what you needed, get done, you didn't move out or any real prospects, you didn't move out hardly any meaningful draft picks, and you got you brought in four guys to the NHL roster – I say kudos to that. Yeah. And none of them are signed past this year. <laughs> yeah, that too. And if there was a draft class you wanted to not spend a whole lot of capital on, it's probably this one. Yeah. Because well, I mean, I, it's it's well, kind I, of been considered a, a lower ceiling draft for a minute by people that I listen to and trust. Because I don't, I don't do the scouting. I don't know. Um, but I've heard that from people I trust over and over. But also... We don't know very much about most of these guys because COVID, so. Yeah, I mean, if you were going to trade your first, I would much rather trade this year's first than next year's first. Well, I, I kind of look at those things a few different ways. One is there's no guarantee next year is even quote-unquote normal. Yeah. So when people keep kicking it down the road saying, like, well, this sucks, but next year's better, I don't know. <laughs> maybe Maybe people should quit just assuming those things. Yeah. And, he, I mean, 
the guys that are going to be 18 next year are missing this year, which is, you know, their draft minus two. Right. Like, so. at this point, I would foresee them playing a whole lot more than this year. But you also, I wouldn't make franchise-altering decisions based on that assumption either. And two is, if you trust your scouts, then there's going to be a, a lot bigger variance in the in opinions on players in this draft. So if you believe in your scouts, maybe they could find value in in certain positions with those draft picks. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily try to load up on picks, but I wouldn't say this is the year to get rid of them necessarily either. I think but, that's fair. And they're going to have the U18 at the end of this month. I think that's going to be huge for scouting. So it's it's just about adapting to the changing circumstances as kind of all of life is. But sure, there's more uncertainty than than you've had in the past. So the uh, the trade deadline is is over and uh, nobody everybody seems to have survived. So good for us. Yes. And yes. Uh, and and reasonably well done by the uh, Avalanche front office. Um, it is definitely a blueprint to keep moving forward, please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> On Sunday, the Avs win 4-1 over these stupid goddamn Anaheim Ducks. Andre Burakovsky gave Landis Closing Cog. out the series, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Nathan McKinnon did scoring, and, and this made more than five consecutive shutout periods for Jay Jonas Johansson. Whoa. And, and now we don't have to think about the Ducks again until next season, which is, for me, just a huge relief. Yeah. Yeah, as I mentioned in last week's show after we saw the first game against the Ducks, it was it was nice they cut out a lot of the shit burning. Maybe they just got tired of it or worried about the <laughs> deadline. But these were definitely a lot tamer games than some of the earlier ones and yeah, that's it, gonna be it came back toward the end of Sunday's game. <laughs> it did. Um there's a fun fact in here, but Outside of the three real teams in our division, Anaheim has the best record over the last 10 games, and they have a whole nine points in those 10 games, but that's better than Arizona, St. Louis, San Jose, and Los Angeles have. I guess I didn't realize that. Well, in a way, then that's too bad, because they definitely look dis disinterested by the, by the end of that, by the time they played us. It's not helping them tank, either. <laughs> I, they, they took care of that earlier i think they're they're pretty good where they are <laughs> i think we're settled um but yeah this this game like this game didn't totally suck but it kind of sucked for I an anaheim happy. game it was better that's that's all i'll give it <laughs> my takeaway was just jojo i'm just getting another shutout i know he gave up i think it was on the power play um was the the one he gave up I at the end out. there. I think the last two goals yeah, he what? gave up were on the power play. No. The one against... No. Was it? No. It, Troy Terry did get an assist, but it was not on the power play. Oh, okay. Freaking Troy Terry, dude. It, oh, here comes the game against Colorado. I'm going to get at, le at least a goal, probably... A, or at least a point, probably a goal, maybe multiple. Troy Terry is so in the Colton Sissons. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's fine. You know, guys like Chambers will still claim him. So, 
I don't know. I, I felt good for JoJo having another good showing, even though they still replaced him <laughs> after that. But he'd already had been replaced. Like they they made the Dubnik move yeah. before this game, and he could have really easily just been like really salty and come out and then just not had his best game, but we didn't see that. He came out and looked just as good as he had the night before. The, the, wasn't the night before, but it was the last game that he played. Because um, it was on... We'll uh, get into this a little bit more Friday. after the, the third game, but you know, I still look at this as a little bit of open competition between he and, and Dubnik. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, yeah, it should be. We'll see after we see how uh, Devin Dubnik performs on Wednesday. Uh, I kind of feel y'all leaning away from talking about this game anymore. Yeah, I just don't remember a whole lot of it. So I mean, it was a solid much. win versus the worst team in the division. <laughs> it's one it's of the all, worst teams in, in the NHL. Out. So, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's move on to Monday. Colorado come home to find the Coyotes waiting for them. And they win a schedule loss, 4-2 the final. Goals from Brandon Saad, two from Miko Rantanen, and another from McKinnon, of course. Uh, Philip Grubauer at the start here and made 35 saves because the team was pretty obviously wiped out. They got outshot 37-20. to Found a way yeah. anyway. That's, I, 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 don't, I haven't checked, but that might be one of their worst uh, shot differentials of the year. It wasn't a good one. Eh. No, and I mean, to Arizona's credit, I mean, they are, they have a lot more to play for right now than the Avs do. Um, and we've seen a little bit of first period malaise creeping into the Avs game over the past couple of weeks. Um, but they really came out hard. And, you know, if, if you look at how... Arizona has played the Avs like going back a few weeks when they were outshot I think like 90 to 40 or something over a weekend um you know they have stepped up their game they've they've made the adjustments that they needed to to play competitive against the Avs so you know credit them for that and what Arizona has been really good at is those third period pushes and it's not against just us you can see it when they play the other teams too is that they're even down three in the third period they can overcome that so and they got a couple here i think they did they got a couple here in the third period of this one and you just just really wanted them to shut the door and the abs did obviously they won it but um you'd like to see them do it a bit more emphatically than they did yeah, yeah it has kind of been a theme like earl said that slow first periods second periods is when abs score all their goals third period you naturally do expect the other team to push back but they've been relenting a little bit more than you would like are we a second period team did i hear you say that i think so (laughs) i mean i'd have to look it up but seems like that's how it's been lately yeah yes we do well in the second period we're we're memeing over here (laughs) Well, it's just, and, you know, like you said, with the schedule loss, I mean, it's like they, they you know, granted, they, they moved the start time of the Anaheim game back two hours. It gave them a little bit of a head start to get back to Denver, but still, uh, Arizona was rested and waiting, and, and the Avs, you know, they didn't even, you know, they, they weren't as ready as they could have been for this game. Um, yeah. And they and still managed to handle it. And it was, we'd you been... know, 4-2 four, four is not really a reflection of the game at all no it, it would be if the score was reversed 
Yeah. But we've been talking about how this week was setting up as dumb for two weeks prior with the travel and everything and then throw in that they got their vaccines Monday night and then their little COVID issue that comes up is there was a lot of adversity. It would have been easy for them to drop really any of these three games this week. Yeah. Or four if they'd gotten to finish the week, but they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so the the word was the Avalanche had a COVID vaccine available to them on, on Tuesday or maybe Monday night. I don't know. Um, one of those times. So they go into Wednesday with some players kind of feeling the effects. And also Philip Grubauer just straight up on the COVID protocol is joining Bowen Byram now. It was assumed at the time that Jonas Donskoy had side effects from the vaccine enough to hold him out of play, but that turned out to also just be a positive test, which is why we're on pause now. Uh, but the Avs win anyway. 4-3 the final with goals from Ranson and Saad, JT Confer, and P.E. Belmar. And David Dubnik got the start in this game, and he looked not fast. Yeah, he looks slow. Um, they were, like, he's not Miska, but he does wander a bit. And there were some times when that that wasn't the call. Yeah, there was definitely um, some Red O'Bara moments in this game. Yeah, that, that goal that scored when he couldn't seal the post, you know, not, not so hot. But um, <laughs> So this was the game where um, the play was stopped to review for a goal that no one could see any evidence of. And then it was called a goal. Oh. Because, obviously, you just have to call it a goal if you can't tell, right? You have to overturn the call on the ice. Um, and then I've... it was challenged for goaltender interference. And after an almost 10-minute delay, nothing changed. <laughs> I know. It's just it's terrible. It really is. Nobody needs to see that. Yeah. I assume so Toronto boring. had another angle of, of it because there was never any public angle that we could see with the puck I would like to see in the it. net. And then Bednar is usually pretty good with those interference challenges. It's he's pretty good at if if the stick is interfering with the goaltender, that's something that that they key in on and so if he sees that he'll usually challenge it and he's usually right at it too, which is funny because interference is just such a subjective concept to begin with but it's that stick that who is it garland shoved under under uh don't know yeah <laughs> it can't have been garland because uh, this was st louis no oh there was something <laughs> else okay but that's why i was confused yeah so then i don't remember who who scored that that one but i there was something about um that i remember from the arizona game too which is why i remember garland but maybe they didn't challenge that one. I think they could have, but they didn't. I think that was the difference. So they finally got this one, and it took 10 minutes to end up at no goal, which shouldn't have been a goal to begin with. And, so, the, and that was a call job. on the ice. 10 minutes later, the call on the ice stands. Yay! <laughs> I, I like to joke that nobody knows what goaltender interference is, but Bednar apparently does. Yeah. He's the only one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> And I guess it could have mattered because this was a, ended up being a one-goal win. And why did it end up being a one-goal win? Because because the PK didn't show up. Yeah, this is <laughs> that third, this that is the period. other theme. 
We have the slow yeah. first period theme, and we have the PK is falling apart theme. Yeah. Well, this was really one of the first third periods, even though we'd seen some other teams push back, like the aforementioned Arizona. This was a third period where you felt like they could blow it. Well, and, and they didn't. it didn't help that we had John Forsland and Pierre Maguire doing the game and just slobbering all over the Blues and Ryan O'Reilly the whole time because as as much as I try to tune that out, you know, it's like they 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 keep trying to create momentum for the Blues in everyone's mind. And, you know, things started happening like that. It 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 did get me worried for a while. Yeah, that that crew is very awful. Um, <laughs> I haven't really been able to listen to commentary for quite a while. Just the insane narratives from Altitude and the hero worship. And it's just, who can listen to commentary anymore? Like, it's not interesting. It's not even truthful half the time. It's just, it's like a means to an end at this point. Just So I just keep it so low that I'm not even listening to it anymore. It does really feel like they're just filling air sometimes. Uh, but this one was definitely purposeful. And the purpose was whichever team has the puck right now, oh, they're building momentum. You better watch out for them. They're the best <laughs> yeah. team in the league right now. <laughs> Whoever has the puck, that's the best team in the league. Um, yeah. And in the third period of this game, that was St. Louis. Um, that like, I, That's why everybody thinks that the national broadcast is biased against their team, by the way, because there will be half of the game when they don't have the puck, and the national broadcast thinks you suck if you don't have the puck right now. Yeah. Well, it's also the selling for the TV audience and and the whole, well, the Blues have won the Cup recently, so they're going to get sort of that residual respect that they're always well, going to get from NBC. I, yeah. I, I, the narrative that the Blues are all kinds of hot and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's like they had lost, like, I think five in a row and then one three in a row coming into that game. Um, but it's like they're, you know, they've lost a couple games since, and they're still just, I mean, they're, they're not very good lately. I think they have seven points in their last ten games. So it's just, um, still, you know, I don't not like a good, playing them. And I don't I'm... like playing them one bit. <laughs> I would not want that I mean, playoff they're... series. I honestly would rather play Minnesota in the playoffs. Oh yeah, I would. I would definitely rather play Minnesota. Um, and, and not because we can't it... beat St. Louis, just because even when you beat them, you're mad about it. Yeah, just no, that's just how it is. And but wh whoever has the puck, also that means they're doing things. And whoever's doing things, that's whose Wikipedia page Pierre McGuire's brain has pulled up. <laughs> and he's going to read it to you. <laughs> you can't stop him. You can't stop him. Yeah. No, and I, again, it's it's tough for Avs fans to, to watch a broadcast where they're slobbering all over O'Reilly. Just because, regardless... That would have happened on him, altitude. Right. It's uh, just... it's it, Maybe not to that degree, but... Um, it's just tough to listen to that because it's just such revisionist history all the time, and they're just like, "What a great character guy!" Blah, blah, you're, <laughs> you're just like, right. Like I don't spend. I can rattle off ten things that this guy just really blew while he was here. So shut up. And after he was here too. Right. I yeah. don't use any mental energy on O'Reilly, but it's true. He's just the last guy you want to hear about. This game was, it was good that they held on to it, 
it, I, this is another one where the score is a little bit deceptive. Um, like, yeah, the, the Blues pushed back hard in the third. A lot of that did have to do with the penalty kill falling to pieces. And um, also some of that was because one of their best penalty killers is Tyson Jost, and he put the puck over the glass. He sure did. It was like he that looked was... at the glass, and he looked at the puck, and he looked at the glass, and he said, boy, I better not put this over the glass. And then what did he do? <laughs> He put it and over he the glass. Knew it me. Yeah, he knew it immediately. <laughs> and he but wanted to just... die. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but you just can't do that. It's just... And, yeah. and so you had Carl Soderberg filling his spot in the penalty kill. And Carl Soderberg's never been an amazing penalty killer. And so now he's on this penalty kill that he has had no time to learn. Which, I mean, how, how different is one penalty kill from another? Sure, but there are differences. And well, they had him out there with Belmare, and that's just like double, double, double slow. That's... And you're just like, that's not how you do it. Yeah, that's the slowest. And he like when, when the goal happens, it's because he's covering the same like person as the other forward. Which now, okay, now you're five on three. So yeah, the yeah the penalty kill has been horrifying the last little stretch here. Yeah, it's... Philip Grubauer has kind of been a little human on it lately. And the first series against the Blues, it was wasn't good then either. That's yeah, I mean, that's you, true. You couldn't expect Grubauer to keep up what he was doing on the penalty kill earlier in the year. No, that's why I say that he was human rather than yeah. bad, because <laughs> he was godlike on this penalty kill for most of the season. And this right. game and... didn't even have human Philip Grubauer; it had Devin Dubnik, who uh, moves eventually. Yeah. Not a not a not a great penalty killing goaltender there. Yeah, and that's that's. I I know, JoJo is is not incredibly, uh, brisk either. But I I think probably what it's going to come down to between those two is just, you know, how how they deal with not being. Um, able to move side to side as quickly as, as they might have to with the way that the Avslet Royal Road passes go through on the penalty kill. Um, and it, I mean, like, neither look really good doing that. But it's just, you, Johansson's, you know, he's been fairly effective and he hasn't, you know, he, he's been playing the easier teams, obviously, but um, I, I still think that they're probably going to look at these two in sort of a competition. You're, you know, obviously you get Dubnik and he's the experienced guy and, you know, everybody was talking about how that's just so great to get a, a you know, a number two <laughs> like that and all this stuff. But it's just, you know, if, if, if you keep, you know, having trying moments with Dubnik and goal and you think that you could probably eliminate some of that by having Johansson in there, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I guess the COVID pause is going to make it a, a little less time. Uh, a little less time that, that Gruby's going to miss, so... Well, maybe. You know, we He's part of it. Well, but, he But he does is, take but... a week off his the... uh, recovery. So right. Something. Um, so it... <clears throat> I, I, I guess the, the conclusion might be is, is the goalie situation is, is going to be pretty fluid for the, the last 13 games. Yeah, maybe. Um, it should as well. I mean, you you really want all three going, right? Because at well, this point... I think you point... want to know... 
like if if Dubnik is not going to be able to get it done as your backup in the playoffs, that's something you want to know before the season. Yeah, you want to know that before you get there for sure. Um, yeah. But but mainly it's just like what is the difference materially between Dubnik and Johansson? Like what does Dubnik do better that makes him default into the backup role? Over Johansson, and I think that some of that is just that Johansson has no idea where the puck goes when it bounces off of him half the time. Um, yeah. And Dubnik definitely moves quicker than than Johansson does. The difficulty is it takes a minute for Dubnik to react sometimes. So the result is the same. Yeah. <laughs> the result is the exact same time. Right, and Dubnik, Dubnik tracks the puck a lot better. So, um, you know, that that's... <clears throat> Like, if you've noticed one thing about JoJo having difficulties, it's tracking the puck. And that's, you know, that's a very typical thing with young goaltenders, so it's not surprising, but... Um, Who do you think's more likely to have one of those miracle hot streaks? Oh, Johansson gave up one goal uh, in I, six periods. To the yeah, Ducks, I mean, I but think JoJo still. Is, I think JoJo has the capability of being more inconsistent, and that would lead him to be perhaps you know, better on a stretch. Um, you know, if you look at, at Dubnik, he's probably not going to be too bad at, at any given point or too good. Well, Dubnik uh, has had those miracle stretches before. It's just been like six years ago. Yeah. So it is really sort of pick your poison. I haven't decided because I need to see more of both of them. Yeah. So Regrettably. I... <laughs> so I agree with the thought that they should just kind of test drive, test both guys out. And really the rest of this regular season is, it's basically wrapped up. I guess it's going to be how important is it to chase Vegas for the division? How important is it to go for the president's trophy? But essentially what they need to set themselves up for is the playoffs and to go hopefully on a long playoff run. So the rest of these 13 games should really be thought of as for me primarily is to get ready for that rather than necessarily chase something. Right. Like hopefully Byram comes back when the, the COVID pause is over or soon after and, and they're able to, <clears throat> you know, get him eight or 10 games at the end of the season and, and have him going for the playoffs. Cause you know, I think he's going to be pretty key once we get into the playoffs. Um, that's, he's... that's my hope too. Yeah. Both for his yeah, own abilities it's... and also for the fact that now you have another NHL defender in the lineup and an ECHL out of it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, those are the kind of things that you look at. You you want to get guys that have been, you know, out of the lineup, you know, get them ready. <clears throat> um, you want to solidify your lines and whatnot. And it's like adding Carl and, and Nemeth is going to sort of jumble that up a little bit. So you just want to figure out, you know, who your 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 top twelve forwards and your your top six defensemen are going into the playoffs, and figure out who the backup at goaltender is. You know, I mean, that's that's a lot to take care of in, in 13. And uh, as, as painful as it is, those priorities aren't necessarily going to line up with winning 13 games. You, uh, no. you, you don't want to back into the playoffs. That's one of the worst things you can do. You want to finish strong. 
but you also don't want to go so hard trying to finish strong that now your starting goaltenders wore out, you've taken more injuries, you aren't really sure who you're going to put in if Grubauer goes down in the third game of the first round. Like, you you have to find some answers to those questions. And if you win seven instead of nine games, who's going to care? Yeah, and I think, yeah, the, pretty, I think this right pause now. is going to help two guys a lot. And those two are, are Gerard and Taves because yes. they just—they've played so much, and it's like Sam. You can tell was nursing something, probably with an upper body injury. Um, but he was still just playing a ton of minutes. Um, Taves looked really burnt out for like the last two weeks. So it's like those guys really needed a rest. Um, you know, Makar's been a little up and down since coming back from injury. Like, you know, I'm sure this isn't going to be terrible for him either. But um, those two especially, it's like those guys eat so many minutes. They need them to be strong and, and ready to play Big every strong. night. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's it, just, it's... It, it looks like they weren't getting the rest needed to do their jobs properly. Well, if this hadn't happened, the Avs are looking at maybe a week break after they finished on May 8th. And... I don't think that would have been ideal. You don't want to sit around that long waiting for the playoffs. So, yes, it is better, you know, assuming that this doesn't become like a team-wide issue and that most of these guys are just getting rest. I know you don't want to be off the ice for a week, and, and that's probably going to be a bit rusty, but this is definitely the, the time of the season that these guys needed a rest. For sure, and you, you really hate to see it happen because Philip Grubauer and Jonas Donskoy and Bowen Byerman found themselves on the COVID protocol. Um, but let's let's just go ahead and go straight there. Only one team in the NHL is apparently able to just reschedule games at will. <laughs> so considering that the Avalanche are not that team, how are we going to make these games up? Three of them, at least. <clears throat> Well, I the... I, I, my vote is that they don't try to shoehorn them in into the last, you know, let's say 18, 19 days. Should we explain what I just referenced first? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, uh, details that... are not my my strong point on this oh, one. Oh, okay. That um, <laughs> you just mean that uh, the three games which were postponed, which are the the two against the Kings, which would have been over the weekend in Denver. And then the first game in St. Louis on Tuesday that the team's aiming to uh, start play again in the second game in St. Louis. So they would still have the Thursday, Saturday set. Um, so they would need to make up assuming that that holds, which it should, unless they start getting a bunch more positives, which we don't know that at the time, but there wasn't any more yesterday, so we'll see. But um, so they're going to need to make up two games against the Kings at home, one in St. Louis. Um, I wonder if while they're in St. Louis, it's just going to make the most sense to figure out some sort of three and four or or something of that nature. But the games against the Kings seem pretty logical to tack on to the end of the season the blues while blues and wild already play on may 12th so there's no reason why the abs can't stretch out to may 12th um and then 
Vegas got a game against the Sharks moved to the 10th the other day, which flew totally under the radar, but it wasn't a postponement. It was moved just because it was a back-to-back, and they got to move into a hole in the schedule just because, I don't know, did they ask for it and were granted? I don't know. So, Yeah, that's as I far as we know. It could... silly. All that we know is it, it happened and seems like bullshit. Yeah. yeah, and it was not postponement related. It was a game upcoming, it was like a week from now on the schedule, and they just moved to May 10th. Just and this was before the AV issues happened, so you, you can't say it was because they were preparing for this or that. No, it just got moved because it was a back-to-back, and it was more convenient for Vegas. Well, you know, the, so, the Avs end the season on a back-to-back. At least they did, they were going to. So maybe we should, could have just said, hey, let's move our May 9th game to May 10th. Yeah. Why not? So so I think the Avs will have to at least play out to the 12th, which I think is fine because that's what your division opponents are doing too. It's just going to be a matter of how many games do they they move around or do they just tack on at the end? Because I think the NHL has pretty much conceded that that uh, that week in May, the the one that begins on what tenth, May tenth. So they're just going to have I mean, games and a start lot of the- this. A lot of this is predicated on the Avs actually being able to return to play on the twenty first or whenever their next game after the twentieth. I think they probably should, but. It's also contingent on on what their test results look like, so right. you can't say for certain. But um, like the Avs' first pause, they didn't they hadn't really set a return or a time that they could get back in the building. This time, it was communicated up front, which was similar when Boston had about a week off and when Montreal did. Was, so it seems like nobody anticipates something horrifying happening, like. Vancouver with the whole team testing positive and basically not playing for a month. So I don't think we're looking at anything like that. I, th- I think the week is, is a safe assumption, but you never know until you see what happens what exa- in the next are, few days. During this week, is it everybody has to pass a, a f- like four tests? No. Is it's, that what they're waiting for? Or, you know, what what exactly has to happen for the NHL to, to let them back, you know, out of the protocol. Answer me these questions three. Right. Well, it's just, we we it's, don't really know what, you know, obviously the, I, I think the teams do, but it's just, it's not really well known what exactly the, the NHL is looking for. Yeah. We don't well, know what the questions team. three are. Oh, the thing is, is that, yeah. When there's absence of information, you look at patterns. Like this is my whole life. Basically like the abs don't say anything. So what you do is you figure it out yourself because the funny thing is the abs never tell you anything, but they're also quite predictable. So if you know their pattern, you pretty much know what they're up to to begin with. So anyway, so I've been sort of keeping an eye on what these other teams do. And if sort of, of course, something like COVID, no one ever has nailed down exactly what does. It doesn't happen, but... No, they still would get tested every single day like they do. Like, they have to get tested in the morning, and then the results come back the following morning. So when they had the positives, 
that they would rush. The, I think what they did is they would take rapid tests right away, which they were saving for before game time. So, which they now do all the time now. They have to take rapid tests before every game. So they would do the rapid test right away, see if there's any other positives. And then they would put a rush on their daily tests from that morning, which would normally come back either very late in the evening or the following morning. So testing every day doesn't stop. They test every day no matter what. But it's the NHL wants the, you know, the quote unquote outbreak to be done. So you can't keep trickling in positive. So, so let's say if five more guys were going to test positive for the abs, let's just say it would be better for them to all say tests, come up positive, let's say today and then stop. So they had nothing on Monday, nothing on Tuesday. Then the league would feel confident that basically they caught everybody. The worst thing would be if it keeps trickling in. If you get one guy consistently day after day after day, then the NHL does not want to open the practice facility, let's say, the day after you get one more positive. So it's about being consecutively clean is what it would be. Consecutively, no more positives. That's what we're looking for. So as long as they're good... You know, as long as they're Tuesday, let's say as long as they're clean on Tuesday, then their Tuesday tests come back clean on Wednesday. They'll probably practice on Wednesday. And then they would probably play on Thursday. They still wouldn't have any of the players who are currently on the protocol list, but they obviously just just beat the same Blues team without them. So it's possible. It's doable. Well, it does. What it does, the pause buys everybody a week, so... Um, Byram, assuming, you know, their dates were communicated, were correct. This would be, which is Sunday would be his last day in isolation. So he would be able to get out of isolation tomorrow and theoretically be able to take his cardiac test. The, the protocols, the abs have been following is 10 days of isolation. Then the day you get out, you take your cardiac test. If you pass it, you have to do two days of off-ice workouts, and then on the 14th day, you would be allowed to get on the ice, which would be Thursday. Now, if he was sitting now when Sam played in Tahoe, he played on the 14th day. He played on literally the first day that he was allowed to be back on the ice, which is crazy. Nobody expects that. But uh, it's, assuming, it's Sam, so... I know. He's a machine. But I'm saying, I'm not saying expect Byram to play on Thursday. I would not. But No. Because, I mean, it's not just two weeks, because he was out for a long time before that. He Well, he wasn't playing, but he was, like, he was skating pretty hard at that point. Right, but he hadn't played a game. He missed, what, eight games? Yeah, like two weeks before that. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that they would want some ramp up time for him i would i would think i it depends how conservative they want to be about it but i think they need to get him playing as soon as possible so i don't know i would think maybe by the vegas series yeah they could play him i I wouldn't expect to see him probably against the blues you know assuming the schedule stays the same and everything but he should be ready to play by then and hopefully they do play him because think it's best for everyone but 
at least, you know, with the rescheduled games, that does buy him probably three more games at the end of the the season, which I, I think is helpful too. So that's kind of the timeline I expect for him. So for Grubauer, he, he, he would end his isolation on Friday, same thing where you basically have three days off the ice. Then on the fourth day, you could be back on the ice, which would be um, like next week. So for the Vegas series, but then would they throw him in right away? not so i kind of target that san jose series the 30th for everyone to for don scoy and grubauer and really hopefully byram need to be back by then and preferably byram before then yes yes please (laughs) please we haven't seen we haven't seen patrick nemeth yet and he's got a you know he's going to have to make his debut, and obviously it's easier for him because he knows the system and whatnot. But you know the team has changed over the past two years, so it's you know it's it's not like he just took a couple weeks off. He, he's going to have to figure out playing with a new partner, or figure out what they're doing on PK wait, poorly wait. now. He's like, wait a minute, who's Kale McCarr? <laughs> and he uh, Kale's first he... partner. Nemeth was? You know, he was actually Sam's first partner. Well, I don't know about first, but he played a lot with Sam that first year. <clears throat> so, I guess it would be fitting if they put Byron with him. Yeah. Perhaps. Maybe that's thinking. I don't remember time, I guess, because I don't remember Nemeth still being here when Kale McCarr broke in. But Against the Flames in the playoffs. I won't, I won't yeah, trust it wasn't you on long. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't long, but I wanted to say he he was also nursing a hand injury. I don't know if he blocked a shot or something, but so the time probably that, <laughs> that's the kind of thing he would do. Just block a shot. I guess that's true. What else would he be doing? <laughs> He's either clearing the puck or ice, or blocking it, one or the other. Yeah, but they you know they have to get him going. They have to get Carl going as well. Um... <clears throat> I, I think if they get Nemeth going and get him comfortable back on the blue line, then, then the next step would be integrating Byram. And that makes sense after a couple games. So, yep. you know, that, that's a that's a pretty good timeline for those two. So I'm tired of talking about COVID. Um, yes. Instead of that, <clears throat> let's talk about a whole bunch of prospects who joined the Colorado Eagles this week. What have you seen from from New Hook, from Ranta, from all these new new faces? Wow! <laughs> I'll let you oh. take. I'll let you take it first. Um, it's, they they've both integrated pretty well. Like New Hook has played two games. He was blanked in the first one, but had a a, a pretty amazing power play goal in his second game, and as well as an assist. Oh, he's playing on the power um, play. That's important. It is. <laughs> he's, he's pretty good at it too. Um, Ranta has three points in four games, um, but he had a goal. Um, I guess what was it Wednesday night, where he just he was in the corner and a guy was on him. He just blew past the guy and just bowled the goalie over and scored a goal that you're just <laughs> like, oh my god, I can't believe he just did that. Um, and we've been trying to 
you know, put together, you know, who, who does Ranta remind you of? Who could he be sort of back in Av's history? And it, it's really tough. You the know, Avs... People are even going back to like Dead Marsh, maybe, or, um, you know, maybe Jamie McGinn. And it just, uh, he's, he's, he's unique enough so far that I, you know, I can't really make a good comparison yet, but. I mean, he does things that there's there's really no one on the Avs that can do what he does. Like, Nachushkin has some of his elements, maybe, just because he's just big and, and bullies his way through stuff. But, um, I don't know. It, it was just amazing to watch. And Nachushkin doesn't normally have the hands to take advantage of the situation he's created for himself. Right. You're telling me that Rambo Santa does? Yeah. yeah, he's got some hands. He has yeah. a good shot too. That's the other thing is it's not just all like crash the net stuff. It's like if if the opponent goes the other way too much and is like, okay, well you're not getting that, then Sampo could just say, all right, well then I'm shooting it. Yeah, he's not been deferential at all. Like he'll just shoot, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good thing. Like you know, a lot of rookies. You know, especially, and I don't know what it is about the Eagles, but it's just a lot of rookies, you don't see them generating shots right off the bat. It generally takes, you know, at least a few weeks or months or a year um, before you see them getting, you know, sort of in the, the two shots per game range. And both Nohook and Ranta are, you know, they're not being shy. Um, so, you know... There are things they obviously are, are going to have to deal with as far as, you know, the, the speed and the size in the AHL. But, um, you know, they're finding the space and, and making the opportunities for themselves already. It's a great sign. That is a great sign. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see talent on that team for sure. I, they're spreading it out a little too much where it's like everyone's on a different line. I think I think they could be served to have some duos like that second game, uh, Newhook was put with Cout, which I think helped both of them. Yeah. Uh, Newhook look, looked a lot better in the second game, which you just expect, you know, from the rust and just getting comfortable. But I, I also think playing with Cout is a good complement to their skill sets. And yeah. they, they haven't done it, but I like Foodie with Ranta. I think those two are fun complements, too. Yeah, I mean, um, I think, not that you want to say that the Cout is Matt Boldy, but um, like Cal can do a lot of things that that Boldy did for New I, I think that's a fair point. Yeah, I right. think That's a fair comparison. So it's just it's something that it, it's a skill set that New Hooks used to playing with, and and I, you can see how they they play well off each other. So in the last game, they each had two points. The New Hook and Ranta had goal and assist. Cal had two assists. So that's like exactly what you want to see. And then and then. Foodie is still fun, and Clerman is also playing. You know, he's more of a third pair guy, but he's he's done well enough for jumping in straight from college. Yeah, the the blue line is lacking talent seriously, especially with Timmins and you know I hate to say it, Renuff, um up with the Avs. Um, so it's like you know Clerman's getting a shot where where he might not actually get as much playing time, and he's he's doing okay with it. Um, but not but that, we hope not one that, more. Yeah, not that we think Werner has a chance at having a life or anything like that, but um, <clears throat> he has outshone Miska quite a bit over the past couple of weeks. 
I think he's only given up what three three goals in the last three games, something like that. So yeah, Werner looks better than Miska. Imagine yeah, that a lot. <laughs> and Miska has been a good AHL goalie, so just not from now. That pers- <laughs> yeah, from that perspective, like his Miska's first game back was pretty good, but I think yeah, some of the some of the same old problems are cropping up and. And Werner is putting together a decent stretch, so... No one could have foreseen this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's just, it's right. just... They, they played Bakersfield on Tuesday and Wednesday. Miska started Tuesday, gave up six goals. Wow. Um, and Werner gave up two on Wednesday. They're, they were both 6-2 games, so... I will uh, say, though, that the whole team was not its finest on Tuesday. Like, it was not just Miska's problem right but he didn't help but yeah <laughs> and we're hoping for one more to join the fray which would be justin Barron, and it his inclusion in this which we haven't mentioned him um really previously talking about the eagles because we didn't think he'd be available he'd been playing for halifax in the queue and the queue was going to start this insanely convoluted playoff structure on i think around may 6th or so and so there was going to be some sort of round robin esque type thing and then and then move on to the first round of the playoffs so it it was going to be pretty easy to see that Baron wasn't going to be available cuz the Eagles play through to I think like the 15th of May so the queue just decided because the Quebec teams were having trouble and a whole bunch of details that nobody cares about but so the queue just changed their mind and decided that all teams were going to start playoffs now. What? And then they were going to cut off the worst teams. And they were just going to be flat out done. Bye-bye. And, okay. And that included Halifax. <laughs> they pretty much just told Halifax, well, you have one more game this weekend. And then you're done. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> and they played their game last night. And they, they basically all said goodbye to Baron, Like they were, weren't shy about it. Like this is the end of your your junior career and sending you off to the pros now and we're like okay <laughs> all Dun- right I guess we're doing yeah. this then. <laughs> so not that he has a contract right that, <laughs> that's one thing or a visa <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the same things apply because it'd just be a trial I mean you you do need the visa to enter the country but I don't I don't know if it'd be yeah. the same like two week issue that New Hook had because he was getting paid, but I guess we'll cross that bridge. So anyway, so Baron is now available and the broadcasters seemed to think that he was gonna join the Eagles pretty soon. So And they could really that, use him. Um you know, like I mentioned with, with Timmy up with the club, like the, you have guys on the power play, like Gilbert is your, your power play two quarterback. So that's not good. Um and the power play one guy is a guy that's you know he's like a you know he's got some decent offensive skill in the ECHL but you know he's just not good enough in the AHL um so they could really use some talent back there and i you know i would assume that cronin's probably just like yeah yeah let's get this guy here asap he might be getting close to his threshold of like how many true prospects they can deal with at once but yeah you kind of got to suck it up and do it because these are your your top prospects you have to play them 
so that is one thing that we're keeping an eye out for hopefully happens this week because you know time's a ticking and it's a great opportunity for anybody to finish with the junior career or like we saw with new hook and ranta leave their college career and have a whole month of ahl left and that's huge for your development and especially baron didn't get to come to rookie camp training camp so he doesn't know anything about the organization or the system and to be able yeah. to spend a month doing that, going into your summer before your first training camp and everything is, is would be big for his development. Well, I would assume he'd stick around. I mean, obviously he's not going to play in the playoffs, but you know, he <clears throat> he could be there practicing with all the other guys who aren't going to be given a chance. And <laughs> yeah, know, getting I, guess, <laughs> I guess that's true too. I mean, yeah, it's it's up to what they want to do. Yeah, he's it's available, so. I guess he'll stick around until they tell him to go home. Why not? <laughs> Just like all of them. So, so that's a fun update. A lot of encouraging stuff. A lot of exciting stuff. Um, yeah. Hopefully we'll get to see some of it in an Avalanche uniform sometime. There's definitely going to be spots on the roster that come open. Because as we've talked about several times, there's a lot of expiring deals on this team. Just a matter of who fills those gaps. Um, so the week was short and bumpy with good outcomes, but not great process. Who are your stars of the week? I'm just giving a star to Sam for that pass to Sod. I think it was in the Arizona <laughs> game. That was, that play was disgusting. So he deserves a star. I mean, not like he's not great all the other time. So he's my star as always. This is, I mean, I, I think I'm just going to give it to Miko just because he kind of had a downtrending week um, the week before, and he, he kind of bounced back a little bit. I, I think the top line is still a little bit burnt out, and I, I think along with everyone else, they're really going to benefit for you know having a, a week off. Um, but <clears throat> you sort of you look at what Mac and Miko do side by side. You know, you, Mac has the volume, but Miko has the quality, um, and it just—it's a—it's such a fun contrast between those two guys. So I, I like quality, so I'll go with Miko. Miko is the best. He still gets overshadowed a bit, but the skill that guy has is ridiculous. Yeah, and I'm gonna give mine to Johansson for for going five shutout periods. I mean, that's the, the Ducks are still an NHL team, even if they're a bad one. Um, and five shutout periods plus is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, yeah. I think he deserves some credit. I'm good with that. So well done there. Um, well, it's just, it's amazing how much more confidence he seems to have compared to what you would imagine it to be with the the Sabers, and that's total projection. But it sure is. Um, well, just getting over the hump, like winning that first one was big, and then for and he did. Out. He beat St. Louis like that. That was no joke that he he was able to hold the fort down and then get a shutout and an almost shutout. So he is on a good run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we must find a replacement. Um, who are we scratching this week? Besides COVID. Besides um. COVID. <laughs> <laughs> COVID's too easy. Has <clears throat> um, the second line still been like Kadri? I think he 
I'd have to look it up exactly, but he just hasn't hasn't produced in the last several weeks. Yeah, it's not the second line generally. This this should be targeted to Kadri specifically because Brandon Sc- Saad scored two goals this week. He's but not on was he line. on the second line? Was, <laughs> nope. He was he was moved down. I think was he? he was moved yeah. down all week. Huh. Yeah. That's so well, fine. Yeah, because he has two goals and Joe says three assists, so there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'd have to look it up. I don't know exactly what Kadri's production and um well, the worst thing is, it's like Nachushkin but... goes up there, and Nachushkin was on a roll, and they put him with, with the, you know, Kadri and and Barkovsky, and now he's just kind of malaised. So that line just doesn't work. Like, we wanted it to work in the off season, and they tried it, and it didn't well, it work. Did. So then is Joe's the magic? with Barkovsky, or just with you know Kadri's line in general? That that combination what? specifically. Yeah. The argument I hear you making is that Jost is magic as the three C's. He, he definitely <laughs> deserves honorable mention in the star list because he had an extremely good week. Yeah. Um. That's it's tough though because I, I mean I get what Bel, I get what Bednar was trying to do by switching Sod and um, Nachushkin and. It's just... Ah. It's like Nuke can play on the second line. That's what your need is because of injuries. But you don't necessarily want to go that far when you don't have that need. Yeah, it's like you're you're swapping a, a, a pure shooter for a grinder. And it's just... That's not... You know, obviously Kadri will, will shoot anytime the puck gets near him. And that's fine. <laughs> that's what you want him to do. It's, um, you just would but like it's just you're sort of encouraging more selfish play by, you know, not having someone that, that he could possibly share with. So, yeah. Um, other than Kadri, let's find uh, more names. And I don't remember when... I don't, I don't remember if, if Keaton Middleton played any games this week, but that's the low hanger for sure. <laughs> he played one. I'm trying to remember. No, he played two. Okay, and then he got sick back. and went to the okay. Eagles. He doesn't have COVID, I guess. But <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Seriously, at yeah. this point, I don't know. It's said... a li- little dubious to think. Oh well, everyone's just sick from the vaccine. You're like, okay, right, sure. Yeah, because there's a dude on the <laughs> Eagles that supposedly has COVID, and it's it's not anyone on an NHL contract, but. <clears throat> you, you just gotta wonder. Um, I, I'm gonna scratch Graves kind of, and it's not for anything he did this week, and it's really more scratching the staff. Um, his play, his time on ice has gone up a lot, and I realize he's been playing better than he had. Sort he's of. still so much an adventure. Like he definitely has had some good moments, but oh my god, he's still just. But it just going back to the Graves McCarr line of <laughs> uh, defensive pair, you're just like, I, I, you know, and I realize obviously it's like you've got Keaton Middleton and Kyle Burroughs playing on your team. So, you know, times are tough, but, <clears throat> um, you know, I, I just, I, I don't want to see that become a regular thing. I just, I, I don't think Graves has what it takes to support McCarr properly. Um, and and maybe and maybe when Taves gets a little more rest, like he can get back with Makar and they can sort of find what they had early in the season. But it just 
um, you know, the the Ryan Graves top pair defenseman thing just doesn't doesn't need to be a thing. But the thing also is that he's not like he he's not gonna carry his own pair. Like I actually didn't mind when it was Byram and Graves. Like maybe that could work, but then you're probably playing Nemeth too high now. Is would be the problem with that. Yeah. No, it's, so, it, and and that's the thing when you ha- when you get when Nemeth starts playing and you know then I mean you obviously I don't think Graves and Nemeth should play together because that's just asking for <laughs> that, that, yeah you know that, that's that's, that's bad massive punterama that's bad news um, right so it's uh... they're gonna punt it and it's gonna make it into the offensive zone but they're but not they aren't gonna have control and then it's gonna come back the other way somebody's gonna fall down trying to trying to reverse their skating direction and now it's three on one you don't want that and that and and that's kind of why i'm just a little scared that they're thinking like all right the Graves mccarr thing you know that that's gonna be that's gonna be our our thoughts going forward you know, you put Graves and McCarr, you have Taves and Gerard, and then, you know, hopefully Byram and Nemeth. Um, and I, I just, I, I, I'm not sure I like that. Nope. I mean, I, I, I don't have another suggestion, so I can't be that critical of it. But... <laughs> you can only use what you got. Right. It's just sort of the issue of having Graves and Nemeth now. Is... Right. And, but I, and, and again, really I... Be one I or the... Still, no, I, I I think they need two guys that can do what they do. So, what do you you know how how do you you know how how do you organize the the lineup and the time on ice um, that way? And I you know Sam and, and McCarr were playing a lot together the other night. Um, so it's like yeah, they they realize you know what you need to do in certain situations. Um, if they keep you know if they keep just not having real pairs, then I, I think that can work out okay. That's probably the best way to, to look at it going forward. Well, is, I, I hardly pay, pay any attention to it anymore because, like, we were used to the blended pairs. It, it's beyond blended pairs at this point. It's just completely situational. There's there's no pairs. Yeah, it's basically Sam, Taves, and McCarr play a shitload and then what do we do with the rest of the time? Right. And there's definitely a strong argument in favor of doing that because was it uh, Filipovich that that had the the black box model? Um, I I, yeah. I think I think that's who it was that. You know me. Uh, if black box wins above replacement models uh, are not for me, I do not trust them. Oh, that's that's the athletic model. I think you're talking maybe, about maybe maybe it's yeah. the athletic model. Um, but. The, the point being that I, I, th- I think they're all junk, except for this one, um, because it said that uh, Gerard and Taves and Makar combined for more wins above replacement than any other team's entire blue line. Yeah. Which is and I think preposterous. It is. And I agree with the thought that a lot of that war stuff is, is pretty fanciful. It's not really rooted in, in complete reality, but it's often made by Minnesota fans specifically to troll Avalanche fans. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> but I think that that is a huge um, 
component of why they've been successful is is that blue line and that I think it's it's also the dynamic qualities they have, their mobility, but that they're all intelligent. Like I've made the argument that they don't really value intelligence in the forwards, but I think they have to have intelligence in their back end. For all Graves' faults, he's actually fairly intelligent. Yeah. And I think that's why why he fits in and then obviously Byron has those qualities as well. So that's kind of like the, the secret that they've unlocked there with uh, what yeah. they've been able to do with the defense. And, and I, um, I, I think McDonald is actually a fairly smart player. Um, you know, his motivations may be a little skewed, but I, I do think that's part of why he fits in. Well, it, like obviously Middleton and Burroughs are not going to look good in the <laughs> NHL whatsoever, but you know, it's not just their talent level. It's just those guys don't think the game in a way that meshes with the rest of the team. And, you know, that that sounds pretty harsh on them, but it's just like that's why they're in the AHL. Uh, but that's sort of the competitive advantage that the Avs have right. created with the defense that I think maybe not everyone quite put their finger on, but I think it's, it's a pretty big factor. So let's look ahead. Coming up next week, we're postponed until Thursday uh, when Colorado head to St. Louis for a 6 o'clock mountain start against the Blues, and then they play again on Saturday. That's an afternooner, 1 o'clock mountain on Big Boy NBC. If that game on Thursday ends up postponed, then so will next week's episode of this show. I'm going to go ahead and get that out there now. Um, But you're probably, not definitely, but probably going to hear from us next week if Thursday does happen as scheduled. Uh, Just in case you don't, Monday and Wednesday is a hot road series against the Golden Knights, and then Friday and Saturday at home against the San Jose Sharks. Do we even want to try to predict these St. Louis games? I mean, the first one's going to be rough no matter what. That's going to be a rust game, and honestly, it's not going to be much better for St. Louis either. No. Yeah, the Blues don't play until that that game either. Yeah, and they haven't been playing great. Is is you know contrary to what Pierre Maguire and John Forslund would have you believe from the telecast the other night, they have not been playing very well lately. Um, they lost a big one to Arizona over the weekend, which was their last yeah. game against Arizona. So I can't believe they um, had any left. Yeah, it was the one. It was just <laughs> the one. The one. After their seven-game series. (laughs) That is setting up to be, I don't know, I find an interesting little battle, which could ultimately decide who the Avs play in the first round. So it it is relevant. It really seems like St. Louis doesn't want it to be them, doesn't it? No. I mean, they're both playing bad. I mean, like, you know, St. Louis has seven points in their last ten games, and Arizona has eight. So it's sort of a, I don't know, race to the bottom. And judging by the contract extension to Jordan Bennington, they may never want it to be them again. <laughs> but they're sure, uh, uh, they're sure struggle. They're sure driving the struggle bus. Uh, and Arizona is doing, I guess, slightly better. Yeah, it's like if I think if Arizona had their, if they had Kemper and Ranta consistently as their goalies, I, I think they'd have this. Um, and it's just, it's, 
it's tough. And I mean, and Aiden Hill is a pretty good third goalie. So, um, yeah, I was gonna say I don't think they've suffered in that. They've. I I think they could be better. I mean, I I think Kemper can do things that Prosvetov and and Hill can't. But well, Kemper's gonna steal you games sometimes. Right, and that's that's kind of what they need because it's just their their scoring is pretty inconsistent. Well, I hope they do. Um, I think we all would love to see St. Louis out of the playoffs, and I would love to yeah. not play them. Mm-hmm. So. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. No, and I was Arizona's... hoping Los Angeles, like Los Angeles, just I don't know. They they totally went in the wrong with... direction. Yeah, they had a chance <laughs> when they were essentially tied with us. I mean, believe it or not, in February the Avs were basically tied with LA. Right. And one went one way, and one went the other way. <laughs> now it's yeah, mid-April. We... <laughs> one of them's competing for the president's trophy, and the other one's probably done. Yeah. yeah. And LA is still was, very. Th- it, it, they're still a good defensive team. Like they've given up far fewer goals than St. Louis or Arizona, but it's just they can't score. I mean, they might have scored twenty goals in the last month. I mean, they're just terrible. That's I like that Arizona bad. plays a different kind of game for the division. They don't get sucked into that Pacific grinderama. So. I root for them even outside of like the yeah we'd probably completely dominate them in the playoffs again, but yeah, it's it would be good for them and, and their franchise and the way that they play. To no, it's fun getting beaten by the same team two years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I said outside of that. <laughs> with, with the Avs getting a pause and having this kind of rough sort of road heavy schedule to end with. I mean, it's it's not completely out of the realm of uh, possibility that it's the Vegas Golden Knights that dominate them in the first round of the playoffs instead. Oh, I think so, too. I mean, the the two games set against Vegas is going to be big to see if the Avs stay ahead of them or not. And yeah, it wouldn't shock me if Vegas does end up prevailing and and coming out. I think out it'll on top be a split division. like the rest of their games. Probably, which should yeah. keep the abs should be enough to keep the abs ahead. Right. But, um, yeah, we'll see how they play after the pause. They're probably due to drop one to St. Louis, but they've been pretty successful against them this year. And and then those games against San Jose and L.A., the abs just got to rack up points there. They just have to, even if they're playing uh, a little bit different of a lineup or resting guys. I mean, I know, believe it when we see it, but well, the dream to me would be that we go to that last two games <coughs> against LA. And obviously there's going to be more games after that because of rescheduling and stuff, but you make it to kind of the last few games of the season, wherever they happen to be. And everything's pretty well settled and you can just not play people. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, and, I don't know if they'd go for like a straight up rest game where you're not playing the car at all or anything like that. Sam's a machine; he'd probably play every game anyway. He would probably um, want to just give him like 15 <laughs> minutes instead of 28. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, depending on what days they're played on, I think if the if the last two games of the season end up being the, the Los Angeles game is rescheduled um, in Denver. Um, maybe like the second to last game, they do a bunch of rest, but the last one they put the big team. Yeah, just so that they have a little bit of momentum. I could right. see that. Plus, you, you don't want your last home game of the season to be a total write-off. Especially if you're not 
starting playoffs like immediately, but we'll see. Everything is always in flux. Yep. So you will probably hear from us next week uh, if if the positives continue to trickle in, which is they've already seems to have stopped. Cross your fingers. Touch any wood nearby. Um, but if if they have stopped, you're probably gonna hear from us next week. Um, if, if we don't have a Thursday game, if all we get is one afternoon rust game on a Saturday, you will not hear from us next week because the apps just don't give us anything to talk about if they're not playing hockey games and we do not have time for that rant. Um, you're welcome. Keep your head up, get to the dirty areas, and we will see you in one of the next two weeks. And I have been too lazy to go to the dumpster for two days. Oh, you should really recycle, though. Oh, I mean, I, the recycling dumpster. <laughs> we, we have a trash dumpster and a recycling dumpster. And my 95% suspicion is they go to the same place because the infrastructure is not in place yet. But we do have a recycling system. Well, if it's like ours, it goes to a place where they sort it out and probably 70% of it goes to the landfill.